everybody. Welcome to Open Mic with me, Mike Creed, your host for this week, all the weeks so far, probably all future weeks, unless I figure something out. You can hear my laundry going, adding to the air of professionalism that is this podcast. Um... Let me, of course, start this by thanking Cardo Cyclist and thanking my fans for thanking Cardo Cyclist. Hey, guess what? I still haven't sent some of the gifts out. I'm doing that today, promise. So if you're listening, going, Creed, where's my gifts? I've gotten a couple emails from people asking where their gifts are. It's coming. I'm good for it. Don't worry. Um, I love you guys. Um, I know I say this a lot, so it's probably getting... A little bit um, redundant by now but you guys really do help by doing that and um, if we could just keep that going it's it's uh, I can do this more comfortably you know like I'll always do it like even if we don't have sponsors it'll still happen but you know so Thank you again, Cardo Cyclist. Search them out on Twitter. Give them a follow. Let them know if you buy something from them. Let them know and that you bought it because you you heard of the podcast, even if that's a lie. Like right, like next time you buy anything at a, at a at a store, just say that you bought it from because of me. And I don't care where you buy it. Just say that. Maybe maybe they'll sponsor. That's an idea. Big news today. Um, oh, hold on. Guest this week is Adam Myerson. Adam Myerson doesn't need any introduction. Um, quite a uh, vocal fellow on on the on the Twitter. Um, anyway, I'll get back to Adam. Uh, I'm in the midst of signing, you know, guys, and we're, I'm pretty much done with the team. It's it's a heartbreaking thing though, you know, because you have a lot of guys who ask you for jobs, and a lot of these guys that you really like and you have faith in, and you just, you either don't have the place for them or you don't have the money for them, and I I, I don't know, like been thinking a lot about this, and I think if it's I think it's gonna happen, but I, I would really like the blessing of the of the people who support the podcast, you know, is that. You know, we we have this sponsor money set aside and budgeted to maybe get me to go travel a little bit to, you know, guests that live in different locations who aren't necessarily drivable. And, you know, um, I think Leslie and I were talking. I think we're going to change that. I think we're going to make it a, um, we're going to pull some of this money and set it aside for these younger riders who are literally making less than ten thousand dollars a year racing their bikes in the hopes of making it to a big time team and we're going to set it aside and um, maybe use it as a stipend for these guys when they get on the ground because for those you don't know you know we don't generally pay for uh food once a rider gets there it's not that we uh that this is some thing that we're proud of you know as a team but there's very real financial constraints and unfortunately stipend isn't is impossible and now you're having this guy who's making eight ten k a year fly out and you, you food's on him so we're thinking about you know you know even if it's just a hundred dollars a trip you know that's big for a guy so we're looking into doing that i think i think it's going to happen leslie's going to release something uh after i record this 
we'll get a little more details. But if you guys like that idea, just let us know. Let the sponsors know what they're what they're supporting. They're supporting more than, you know, um, a really handsome 32-year-old guy with amazing eyes who conducts amazing um, talks, you know, who hosts these amazing talks. It's more than that. It's more than this amazing 32-year-old guy who smells good, you know, has a ripped-toned body, has a sensual kisser, and makes people feel uh, comfortable with themselves. It's more than that. It's, it's more than that. Another sponsor. Now, look. Uh, Road Idea sponsored the podcast. They really only sponsored it for one, but because I'm a total idiot, I forgot to mention the coupon code in the podcast, which was part of the deal. So, rewind two or three weeks ago when we had the George Hincapie podcast. I was supposed to tell everybody that there is a, if you go to Road Idea, you put in the coupon code Big George. It'll get you, um, I believe 15% off. It's maybe it's more than that. This is how unprofessional this this thing is. But go there, put in road ID, go to road ID, buy something for your dog, buy something for your wife. Maybe that's one of the same. And then uh, put in Big George, and then they'll, that'll be a way of tracking, uh, you know, how uh, viable my 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 listenership is. If you guys don't want to buy a road ID, that's fine, fair enough. But if you're thinking about it, you're going to do it. Um, if you've already bought one and I was too dumb to give you the code on the podcast, let them know that you bought it because of me. And uh, hopefully they'll come back on as a sponsor and we can, um, you know, help the younger guys out on the team. Uh, again, that the coupon code is Big George. Adam Myerson. Uh, smart stop rider. He was the director manager last year. Uh, director manager rider. Um, talked to him in the Tucson Bicycle Classic, and he he gave me a little bit of a lead out for this job, and I'm I'm really appreciative of that. Um, uh, I don't I didn't know a lot about Myerson. I mean, because we ran in the same circles for so long without meeting each other that you kind of feel like it's weird to go back and reintroduce yourself so um, now that he's going to be a, a rider of mine and we had this free time in Vegas at Interbike that's how long ago this interview was um, we can do that so I did that but anyway um, here's a conversation Toe jam Pop that blister. Jesus H. Christ. Private Pile, why is your footlocker unlocked? Sir, I don't know, sir. Private Pile, if there is one thing in this world that I hate, it is an unlocked footlocker. You know that, don't you? Sir, yes, sir. If it wasn't for dickheads like you, there wouldn't be any thiever in this world, would there? Sir, no, sir. Get down! Well, now, let's just see if there's anything missing. Holy Jesus. What is that? What the fuck is that? Sir, jelly donuts, sir. A jelly donut? Sir, yes, 
get here? Sir, I took it from the mess hall, sir. Is chow allowed in the barracks, Private Pie? Sir, no, sir. Are you allowed to eat jelly donuts, Private Pie? Sir, no, sir. And why not, Private Pie? Sir, because I'm too heavy, sir. Because you are a disgusting fat body, Private Pile. Sir, yes, sir. Then why did you hide a jelly donut in your footlocker, Private Pile? Sir, because I was hungry, sir. Because you were hungry. Private Pyle has dishonored himself and dishonored the platoon. I have tried to help him, but I have failed. I have failed because you have not helped me. You people have not given Private Pyle the proper motivation. So, from now on, whenever Private Pyle fucks up, him. I will punish all of you. And the way I see it, ladies, you owe me for one jelly donut. Now get on your faces. Open your mouth. They're paying for it. You eat it. drop out and I'm sure you've already gotten this feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, pretend I'm on the other side of the room. I think this is going to annoy when you touch the microphone. It really annoys the listeners. I think your listeners are, they come annoyed already. Or they leave annoyed one way or the other. Yeah, I like to say that I don't attract a type. I attract a disposition. <laughs> Both in, your, in podcasts and dating, probably. Yeah. I, uh, all the guys that are fans or whatnot seem to be a certain type and uh by and large any romantic interest i've ever had in my life seem to be a type a disposition i think that's why people are excited for this podcast because i think uh although i hate like using these terms or sounding self-important we sure. have we have fan overlap yeah we have a the circle yes it's the pie chart is, is yeah let's not use the right fairly large makes me sick to my stomach to talk like that but a fan yeah. yeah they're friends anyone who's into what we're into or follows us are people generally i think we would be friends with if we knew them in real life well maybe not you because you're a little more misanthropic than i am but yeah i think 
I am. I think I'm just so wary of things, you know? Like, I'm so wary. I'm trying to be better, like, when people compliment me on the podcast. I'm trying to be better with just accepting it and moving on quickly. Because you're still in the mindset of, like, if, if you like me, like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, you, you're missing yeah. something. You feel like you're fooling them or there's something that they're not seeing about you. Right. Well, like, that's what it was with cycling towards the end was, like... I, I mean, even during it, like, when I was... Because I always did cycling. For me, like, I really enjoyed it. Like, it was something. Yeah. <clears throat> I always got kind of mad at fans whenever they would, like, say, oh, oh well, if you guys... If, if racing's going to be run this way, then we'll, we won't show up to the race, and then what? And I remember thinking, when they said it, like, I don't need you at the race. Right. I don't know if you've gone to NRC races, but there's not a whole lot of people there. <laughs> I, by and large, race in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, you go do a tour of the Gila, you finish on top of the Mogollon, by and large, you're racing for yourself. So I, so whenever a fan would compliment me on cycling, like, it always seemed, like, so disingenuous and, I don't know, I didn't care. But with the podcast, at least it's something that I, I know I'm not great at. It's something new, and it's, so when somebody compliments it, you're like, oh, that's nice. Well, I, I mean, I... I don't think you have to worry about being great at it or not, because that's, again, not why you set up to do it. Um, yeah. So far, the impression that I have is you're you're shooting the shit with people that you're friends with, and you're discussing things that you think are interesting about them, yeah. and that means that the people who are choosing to tune in yeah. share that same interest. So Yeah, so I was thinking, like, when you were, like, okay, let's do this, and I was thinking, like, you know how some people have been around so much? that you don't even really remember, like, how you know of them. Like, you realize that you never really ask many questions about them because they've just always been around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how did we meet? I can't even remember. I don't think we ever did. I think the first time I became aware of you, it was, like, in a... There was, like, an ad for a clothing company, and it was, like, Breakaway Couriers. Uh-huh. And you... I think... I was like, who's this guy? Clothing company, huh? Like, Alexa, maybe? Oh, well, I... I did do some repping for Alexa at one point, and we did wear, I think on Breakaway, we did wear Alexa clothes that one year. Isn't it, my brain remembers that's, the most no, that's right. weird, nuanced things, and then sure. other things, it just doesn't. For me, with you, it was, uh, it was, um, it's when you and Pate were an inseparable duo, and you were like national team kids, and we kept hearing about your... Skittles and Diet Coke, because you were like the two Wonderkin, Wonderkins yeah. coming up, yeah. and like, I mean, I already feel like I was old at that point, which I guess I wasn't. I was just, you know, five sure. years older than you, maybe, but yeah. it felt like a, a whole generation different, and we almost, as the guys who were trying to get contracts, but were already established, were like, not resentful of you guys, but like, almost laughing at like, yeah. these talented clueless kids yeah we <laughs> like, really were yeah and like you know their diet would almost like mocking cycling by making your diet skittles it, and diet coke like it, it was it really was the how many bags of gummy bears and pure sugar could we eat how much caffeine could we consume right and still racing a reaction to like i think what you were being surrounded by and maybe becoming aware of too at the same time like almost refusing to take it as seriously as you were expected to. But you guys were talented enough to get away with it. Well, not only that, is that we got this golden goose of this car to cycle this amateur team, and they just, the owner just gave uh, maybe guys who are about your age, who were struggling to make it as pro, they just gave them the credit card. Uh -huh. And 
And the part of the deal was they had to take Peyton and I with them. Because uh-huh. the team owner liked us. Right. So like we had no oversight, no but no accountability. So who was that? Like Clark Sheehan? Like who No, who that was the after uh, so Jim Copeland was the team manager. Uh-huh. And then there was guys like Jim. Um God, he used to be the ad guy for Velenus after he quit. Uh Paul Something Paul, Paul something, and uh, yeah. So we they, we have this team suburban, and we yeah we do the back when they had the when you know when you could race from like February to the end of March if you did yeah. Valley Sun another damn race yeah 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 Merca whatever you did all this the whole swing Bisbee yeah you would do that whole swing and yeah that was it man yeah. it was yeah and we nobody yelled at us like we just did. Yeah, just off the wall shit. So yeah, so then I watched. So I don't remember when. Might have been when you were on uh, Prime Alliance when we finally were like in the same races. Because we yeah. were in those days. I was still racing on the crit circuit, and you were like national team going to Europe. You were on a different track. Sure. And Prime Alliance actually did end up being the intersection of a lot of things. Yeah, there's dude. some good guys coming back. Yeah. Um, the me getting my chance on. and kind of going up, finally turning pro. Yeah. yeah, so I was, I mean, I was, I must have been 30. So maybe like Philly Week. 2003? You were in Prime Alliance in 2003? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the year that I finally turned pro. I was 30. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I had already quit and spent three years doing what local team was races. That? Sportsbook. Sportsbook, that's right. I remember Sportsbook. That was with uh... Svatek, Matt Svatek, Larry Pereira, Bill Laudine was the director. Hamlin? No, Hamlin was on NIRAC. Matt, uh, what about Mike Jones? No, I was never teammates with Mike. For some reason I thought he was on Sportsbook. No, no, we no. did try and hire him on, uh, on Mangoni one year, and, yeah, they were, well, by the time, Jones ended up on HealthNet, and, or whatever it was at the time when he got sure. on, and so he kind of, like, skipped up a level, and so we were never teammates, but we were close, and we traveled a lot, and we're buddies and stuff. What's he up to He now? was on, I think. He was teammates with Hamlin. I think maybe he wrote... Did he ride for Fjorda Fruta for a year? That's the team I'm thinking about. Fjorda yeah. Fruta. Okay. So that Svatek was on Fjorda Fruta. No. I can't remember if Jones was on Fjorda Fruta. Anyway. Yeah, right. But yeah, that's that That's that era. Because like... Do you remember like I... I raced... I mean, I started like being serious when I was like a last year junior. And then like freshman year of college, I went both semesters. But then that year I was... Turning 20 was the first year I like went on the road like we went to Florida for the winter Did like that whole southeast circuit, you know took the semester off Just started living off prize money like really like that was where you yeah yeah, that era like this is like early 90s We were racing ten thousand dollar criteriums back then just like we do now We really and and for someone like me you didn't have like background support the team paid you know bike clothes and entry fees Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there were various years I'd get like you know maybe two thousand dollars stipend for the year or something like that. So we weren't trying to like win races. We were trying to like make money, which sometimes meant winning the race. But if you went to a crit with four dudes, if you knew there was a premium easy pay, three dudes yeah. didn't lead one dude out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy led three guys out, yeah. and we'd put three guys in the top ten, and everybody yeah. would make a thousand dollars, and then we could go to the next race. Yeah, so even if it meant leading it out early. You're like whatever. We were we were. It's not that we didn't want to win. We wanted contracts. We're trying to win. Mm-hmm. But again, like that breakaway was really 
Breakaway was where we really perfected that. We would go to races with four guys. We had one lead-up guy. We yeah. had three sprinters. Yeah. We made we made a lot of money, but we were also circling the drain. You know, it's hard to go on from that. Yeah. I mean, so few guys like have come out of the U.S. crit scene and uh, really. You know who came out? And I think people forget it was Julian Dean. Do you remember he was on Shackley for a year? Not just not just Julian Dean, but Greg Henderson. Hendy did. Hendy yeah. was here racing crits. When when yeah. when Hendy first got here, like my first memory of him is like headbutting him in a field sprint. <laughs> <laughs> and then like two years later he's like, you know, like world team pursuit champion or something. Sure, sure, like. sure, yeah. Um but it was but it was Hendy and um and uh oh jeez, I feel bad that his name slipped in my mind right now. Uh uh, Godfrey? Yes, thank you, Hayden Godfrey. Yeah. Came over together, and Hayden kind of stalled at a certain point, and, uh, and Greg kind of kept going. But same thing with Julian Dean. Like, or we're talking about Hayden Rolston. No, 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 Hayden Godfrey. Definitely Hayden Godfrey. Hayden okay. Godfrey was as good as, as, as Hendy. When they were here, they were they got over here, they were just as good as each Hayden other. Hayden Rolston come over at the same time, too? No, no, he was not. I mean, not to, I never really raced him. I don't recollect him. Oh, okay. Over. For some reason, I thought he came mm -mm. anyway. No, no, this is... Yeah. Yeah, this is still, this is the 90s. It's, it's weird that, like, I guess, would you say Tyler Farrar came out of the crit scene? But, yeah, I mean, he was doing a lot of national team stuff. He was, and I think the guy who did a similar track to him um, is, um, he's on UHC now. Um, I'm so, I do this, I'm, I'm clearly getting old because I forget, like, my friends. Names. Yeah, right, right. Um, um, he's a on UHC. Clark? No. Uh, American. He lives in Asheville right now. He's a good oh, friend of mine. John Murphy. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did so bad. So, like, I thought Murph was going to be the next Farrer because he I was exactly you. on that same track, same body type. Yeah. And he came up, national team stuff, really good junior. Yeah. Um, started doing national team trips, like, came up through the criteria. Good climb, then, good. Yeah, but then, yeah, he's so much horsepower. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he obviously, he went to Europe and decided to it wasn't really for him, whereas I think Farrah went over there and, you know, learned how to speak Flemish, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hardest part about racing in Europe is living in Europe, right? Yeah. No, I don't know, I don't know Murphy that well, but I, I knew Farrar pretty good, and I think that, that, kid, that kid wanted it. Too. That yeah. Farrar, like, that kid was yeah. a psychopath since he was a junior. I remember <laughs> him slugging, pr like, 300-calorie protein shakes right before bed. And just like he's so amped about it. So he's a sweetheart, though, like Murphy. Oh yeah. Like yeah, yeah. They're both like super nice guys, you yeah. know, which I think is why they're also popular and very likable. Where do you think uh, Farrar's gonna go, man? If Garmin doesn't renew him. I mean, I'm sure there's a million things that we don't know about right now, but and and I hate to criticize the guy. Sure. Um, I but I think it's one tough thing where like he's shown over and over again he can follow a sprint, he can get fourth. Yeah. He's really good at getting fourth, and I mean, again, like that's not criticism. Like so no. much respect for what he does, and, yeah. um, but I'm sure Garmin is not looking to pay him whatever they pay him so that he can keep getting fourth place and yeah. occasionally pop through. Um, and you know, you don't know what what goes on, like um, what kind of challenges he's facing, or like guys come back, guys get it together, you know, you get a, you get a bad run, and then you get your shit together, and yeah. you, it's, it's not like you can't turn around, but um, that's why guys shift around, you got to find another team that says, oh, we still think you have something to offer, we'll take a chance on you, 
yeah. if Garmin's had there. Sometimes you can't get comfortable. When you get comfortable, you kind of stay a lot. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, maybe the best thing for him is to go somewhere else. But, I mean, so I have no inside knowledge. Or, yeah, yeah. But you got to imagine that he, he's talking to a team like UHC. UHC's aiming high, and he's a guy that would fit into the... I'm sure by, by the time this podcast will come out, we'll know we'll that. We'll know that. I heard that uh, Horner signed with UHC. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's, uh... That's I heard from a pretty, like, a non-bullshitty guy, too. So either he got bad information and was passing on me, but I got it from a guy who's... Yeah, well, that means Mike's got a pretty big con card to walk around the show with right now. Yeah. If you're walking the floor of the show right now talking to sponsors and telling them that you have a contract with Horner, I'm sure that's helpful. It's, I guess we'll... I guess we're just having a conversation of maybe, but it's... That would be just... The craziest shit. It would just show like how fucking weird cycling can be. That you can just, not, I mean, right, you win the Volta when you're 41, weird enough. But then you, you just take Can't the highest builder. You just take the highest bidder. But hasn't build. that always been Horner's career? So I mean, I've been around for all of Horner's career. Like yeah. I was on the IME amateur team when I was 19. Yeah. And he was on the, he was on the team when he was 20. Like yeah. so we were sort of teammates but like yeah. I remember racing with Horner like when he was on Rocket Cargo with the classness yeah like three guys on an amateur team driving around in the car like <coughs> you know that's how we did it in the 90s and yeah. I don't think the kids these days I just I know what I sound like right sure, now but, sure, sure. but the kids they, they don't understand what we were doing back then to race bikes and Horner Horner's from that era mm -hmm. Horner slept in his car to race bikes he is absolutely a journeyman cyclist and it hasn't always been good for him. So Julik had the same problems. Like Julik had years where he had to like, you know, ride for some shitty Mexican team like just to like stay afloat. And Horner had those years too. And so watching him come from a team like I mean, I saw him do amazing things when he was twenty years old. Sure. He's always been this good. Yeah. Um but you look at the Webcore period, you know, where like guy can't get a contract. No. Webcore I mean my recollection of that was like the way they they paid him enough for him to do was they gave him all the bikes. At that the was a rumor, season. right? Yeah, that was a rumor. He got to keep all of the team bikes at the end of the year, and that's how they paid him. So, you know, he goes over to France and races for FDJ and like hates France and gets fat and like has a terrible time and yeah. comes home and he's got to put something together. So, I think he's a guy who like he obviously loves cycling, yeah. And there's no substitute for that. Yeah. I mean, I'm still here because I love yeah. cycling, not because I'm talented. Um, I also think he doesn't have anything else to do. And again, I don't mean him any disrespect, no. but he doesn't. Yeah. There isn't a career doing something else that's waiting for him. So why wouldn't he keep racing? But also, why? Yeah, he's gonna take. I think. Yeah, his he's not racing for like sporting ambitions either. He wants to keep racing, and he needs to get paid. Yeah. So why wouldn't UHC be believable? Especially yeah. if other people do. People not want to touch him now because they're afraid of him because they think. His performances are unbelievable. Yeah, I'm pretty out of that circuit, man. I mean, I think there's so much... Shit, his performance isn't any less unbelievable than anybody else who would have won that race. It, has there been a Grand Tour winner who we haven't said, like... Exactly. Everybody just sits back and goes, oh... That's un I don't think people really watch bike racing, because then if you see anybody win a race, it's a pretty unbelievable performance that you beat. That's why you won, because yeah. you did something so unbelievable. Then, so then Every somebody wins, the Grand Tour guy wins, and he goes, yeah. that's just an unbelievable ride. I can't do that. And it's like, well, dude, you kind of needed to win. Well, I think that's why people are surprised that I was, like, defending Horner. 
right? And I think sure. I think people on social media who didn't understand or missed why I was defending Horner, I mean, like, I wasn't going out on a limb and saying, I believe Horner's clean. Yeah. I don't know shit. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't know what he eats for breakfast. I don't know if, he's a very friendly guy. He's very personable. We know perfectly well that nice guy's dope. Yeah. Ty, Tyler Hamilton is the nice guy that people think he is. Like, yeah. he really is that guy. And so on a one-to-one -on -one level, like, you wish that guy the best. You gotta separate that out from the sportsman and, and, sure. and the, the, the cheating that happens within the industry, within his job. So, so again, like, I have no idea if Horner's clean or dirty. And if you want to make an assumption about, like, what it takes to win a Grand Tour and say, well, I think all those guys are, have got to be doing something. So maybe, maybe is, maybe isn't. For me, like, I want to put that aside for a second and yeah. say, looking at this rider's career trajectory, yeah. who he rode for and when, what his job was at that moment, when his injuries <sighs> happened, um, how his physique has changed over recent years as he's focused on climbing, I find his performance perfectly believable and the alignment of a bunch of little details that that allowed a performance like this to happen. The, the course that they were racing on, the fact that he's completely focused on climbing, the fact that half the field dropped out because of weather, um, yeah. the, the fact that he didn't have to ride for somebody else for a change, the fact that he was his time away and his injury yeah. means that he's the freshest guy in the race. And, and going back to the money thing, he was contracts up, and you know he was shitting buckets about about his money. Yeah. So won't. yeah. So I don't. For me, it's not that it's not that whether he's doping or not is irrelevant. Yeah. But it is in fact irrelevant to the believability of this performance. There are, if a hundred factors went in to determining this performance, and doping is like some large portion of that, yes or no? The fact is there's still 75% of that performance, the contributing factors, like absolutely line up perfectly for this to be a realistic performance for him. And everybody just wanted to jump right to like, was he doping? It's like, no, you missed everything yeah. else. Let's talk about everything else. I think people have given up on a lot of the social media stuff because I feel like people, uh, it, and I, I mentioned a lot in the podcast, so I'm sure people rolling their eyes, but it's so much easier to have a negative opinion. It's so much easier. It's quicker. It's, it's, there's no nuance in it. It's just this concise, I don't believe you, right? Yeah. It's just flat and it's, it's concrete. Yeah. Whereas if you believe something, you have to explain it a hundred different ways that could just be shouted down with an, you're, you're an idiot. People are like, they're more concerned with uh, being perceived as an idiot uh, by somebody they don't know than just kind of, I don't know, letting, letting stuff go. Like, if, yeah. if you don't think Horner did it legit, then that's whatever. But if somebody believes they did it, I, I have no emotional investment in it. Well, sometimes you can have positive exchanges with people whose opinions you respect, and it's a nice way to bring a bunch of people who couldn't otherwise get together and have a good conversation. That you know, that occasionally happens too. Um, occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> but the you know, conversation crashers or like you yeah. know, if you know, I uh, if I read all my app mentions and I respond to my app mentions a lot, you know, which which I know <coughs> lots of people appreciate. Maybe sometimes it happens at my own expense. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always been of the attitude that if someone 
cares enough to give a shit about what I think, I want to give that person respect of, of, of engaging with them and not disregarding it. Like for me, like that's a gift. Like, mm. like I feel, uh, continually flattered that people give a shit about what I think. And so I never want to turn my back on, on, but what if, on that. What if it's like from, well, it goes the other way, right? What, what, if, what if it's from like an anonymous, I, that's why I don't like anonymous accounts. Yeah. So I, I don't respond to anonymous accounts. I will respond to an anonymous account if the quality of their question work, yeah. let's call it, sure, sure, is actually like legitimate. And I still, I still believe that you should own everything that you say. I sure. live my whole life that way. Sure. So it, it comes through in my social media presence too. I want to sign my name to everything. I understand not everybody is able to live their life that way because they have a, maybe a job that they're trying to protect and they want to be able to speak freely and that anonymity allows them to be more honest. But I think if someone's using their anonymity to be less honest, let's say, or, yeah. or more aggressive or say things that they can't own in a combative way, yeah, yeah, I probably let those people take up too much of my time. You're good for not responding. Sometimes I don't have that self-control. I'm pretty quick with a block, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind driving my follower numbers down. I try not to block people because I feel like, I don't know, like it's like a, I want to like stand up to it or something, but I should probably, I, know some I should people, protect myself more than I do. I know some people don't like blocking because they don't want to give them the satisfaction that they got annoyed. Like the guys, oh, I know. Or it's like quitting. It's like they, they got to you like enough to make you block them. Like they won somehow. Yeah, I think that's probably reading too much into it. Yeah. I, I think it's just a... Yes, I, well, so to bring this back around to where we were a second ago, sure. um, in like viewing Horner's performance and how they want to fight about it on the internet, I, I said to somebody, um, I responded with, uh, they were talking about skepticism and cynicism, and, and I, I wanted to differentiate between those two things because I think you have to hold on to your skepticism. It's perfectly... like. We've been through too much not to continue to be skeptical. If you're if you're walking around cynical, you should just watch. Stop watching sports because if because you're not going to enjoy yourself anymore. Yeah. And I think you should, you should try to let go of the cynicism. Be skeptical about. Don't be stupid. Don't be don't be blind to what's going on. Be skeptical. Raise an eyebrow. Sure. But cynical. Hey, like letting it ruin your day. Right. Right. I want to let go of my cynicism. I'm definitely skeptical. Yeah, but just give, yeah, giving something that you have no control over the power to ruin your day, it seems maddening. It seems ridiculous. I, I, that happens to me. I let, I let that happen too often. I mean, I'm sure it happens to me too, but just on the surface of it, it seems like something you should actively... Well, well, because I think one of the things, one of the, the thing that causes me almost the most anxiety is miscommunication. Uh, Miscommunicating causes me immense, like paralyzing but so easy on anxiety. That's so easy. I know, and so sometimes this is why social media is bad for me, and it can, it can cause, it can spill over too much into my quote-unquote real life because I'll have a misunderstanding with someone that causes me anxiety until it's resolved. Yeah. I need that resolution, and so I think that's why sometimes I allow myself to respond too many times or yeah. I mean I'm also I work in front of my computer and I work alone so it's easy yeah. it's my it's my water cooler it's like yeah. it's it's my it's my public diary it's the place where I'm dumping all of my thoughts that I have to get down like you know 100 years ago I would have I probably would have been a uh, 
compulsive diary keeper. Yeah. Um, but I never have been able to keep a diary because it always made me feel pretentious, like pretending to write for myself when really I knew I was writing up because I wanted other people to read it. And yeah, it's yeah. hard to know where that comes from, and yeah. I, you can criticize it or not criticize it, but like no, it's for like me that's a, that's an honest look at a diary. People, most people aren't that honest. If I'm writing, I, I want it to be read. I'm not writing for myself, even though I'm compelled to do it. It's the social connection that I get value from, the yeah. connection to other people. That's what writing is for me. So Twitter is perfect. And so Twitter became this this instant, di I write my diary and it's instantly read and you get instant feedback on it. And I was making connections that I really enjoyed. I get a lot of energy from. So I'm sitting alone in my office. I don't have coworkers that are, you know, I don't have conversations in the hallway. Yeah. So the you know my social media window's up in a external monitor. So I'm working the whole time. I'm tweeting. I'm yeah. answering five emails and then sending a couple of tweets and then answering five emails. But it doesn't take up as much time as it might seem because I you're just firing stuff off in the background. Sure, sure. You know it's like watching TV while you're working. Yeah, I uh, I did like I think obviously you're doing the podcast because you want to be heard. But uh, I remember I tried doing a blog a few years ago. And uh, I'm not a good enough writer where I could Long really form. defend it. Yeah. Or I could stand behind it 100% because then you would. So some situation would come up and I would try um, to give an honest, nuanced view at this. Like, no, you guys see this and then there's that. But yeah. I think this is my angle. Yeah. And uh, and then somebody just with attack an angle that you missed would or? would just attack it on the most basic, without yeah. giving it much thought. And then I remember thinking, it, it and it's totally, uh, it shows how big my ego is. Because then I would think, like you don't even deserve your opinion. Because like I, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Like right. I don't even know who you are. I don't know what your job is. You probably have never been a professional racer, much less in the pro tour. Yeah. You, are you qualified to comment on this you. topic? And then, so that's why the podcast is great, is because those people, by and large, will not listen to over an hour of audio. Yeah. It actually is kind of daunting. Yeah. Yeah. What? I mean, that's even like why I don't blog as much as I once did. Is actually the to carve out. The yeah. amount of time it takes. I mean, writing a blog entry is it's a it's a proof. You're writing a proof. Yeah. You know, it's it's a mathematical proof. You're you have a, a thesis, a point you're trying to get across, and then you gotta you gotta make a case for it. You gotta present some evidence. You gotta tie it up. And, yeah. and you have to anticipate if you want to be persuasive. You have to anticipate all the ways you're going to be analyzed or attacked, and yeah. and and you're counter those points before anyone yeah, else. Yeah, you're can making even. it bulletproof. Totally. And so. Um, I do write that way, you know, like <coughs> my degree is in English. It's like it, I didn't I didn't study English because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Like it's it's what I was drawn to, and um, I do love writing that way, and I do love writing. My life is so overfull that Twitter is part of my like panicked fireman lifestyle, where I'm just running around putting out fires all day, and so in between all that chaos, I don't have time. I don't have time to do a whole proof. Yeah. I I just need to like dump what's. When's the last on time you've done like a cycle smart blog? Oh Jesus! I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's been multiple years now at wow. this point. 
And I think like the last big blog hit that I had was probably like the Landis one. Right. It's right. probably not that many entries ago if you go back and look. Yeah. That Landis Just entry. And then I think, I think I'm capable of writing a blog like that once a month. There's enough topics to weigh in on. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, I think that's why I like, you know, the podcast. I think I've often considered doing the same thing, like having someone just to shoot the shit with about not, you know, someone who's knowledgeable about the same topics and exchange some ideas on it. Um, yeah. Is Well, because I, th I think people, uh, not only people that you bring on the podcast, but people listening, I think people have a desire to share. Yeah. They have a desire to make this connection, and it's... Or we're lucky that people give a shit about what we're doing and what we think. It's a real fucking privilege, yeah. you know? I, 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 every day I'm, like, amazed that people give a shit about what I think, you know? And I know it's, like, big fish, small pond, like, sure, sure. you know, I mean, it's not... I don't pretend... But I also think it's disingenuous to ignore... So where do you... So you talked about your ego. I'm, like, I'm, sure. I'm fueled by the same ego. I totally get it. Yeah. I also dislike false modesty. So how do you find the line between like recognizing that this is happening, that people care, right. that they're paying attention to you and, and, and interested in what you're doing, but still recognize that like it actually doesn't mean yeah. shit, if you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make either of us special. Sure. We're not better than anybody. Uh, but you don't want to pretend it's not happening. So right. I mean. So my thing is, is I had this moment where um, it was my last year on Vodder's team, and uh, I, my back problems had began, and I didn't know what was going on. Up until this point in my life, there, there was no way I wasn't going to do the Tour de France. I was probably going to do really well in it. I was yeah. probably going to win a world title. Like, it, I, I, Those were all reasonable. You were it, on that yeah. track. These are things I did not question. Yeah, yeah. These were Other people believe that, yeah. too, of you. And... Uh, then my back started happening, and uh, I started stressing, and like the Vodder said, like, dude, this is your race to prove it. Like, you need to prove it at this race. So everything came into this race. And uh, 10K in, my back goes out, and I can't pedal my bike anymore. And I just, boom, gun to the head, right? So I just pull over to the side of the road. I don't even get in the team car. I don't get in the broom wagon. I'm just going to go ride back to the hotel. And uh, my whole life had, like, come down to this moment. Like, I'm sitting on the side of the road in Portugal realizing that I'm never going to race the Tour de France. I'm never going to race the World Championships. All these really important things. Yeah, that your life had revolved around. That my life had revolved around. And two minutes after the race caravan had passed, uh, this town in Portugal, it, it looked like the race had never been there. People were like going through traffic and they were shopping and they were just looking at me like I was an asshole in spandex. Yeah. And it, that was when I was like, oh wait, no. Like two minutes outside this, nobody gives a fuck. Uh -huh. So a lot of my friends are in this circle and I care what my friends think about me and uh, by proxy people in that circle are probably generally pretty cool. and. Yeah. There are people you can see. They passed some of the same exams that you did to yeah. get to that. So point. you meet like minded people sure. in there and you yeah. want to find the good ones, you want to find the weird ones, and you want to talk to the weird ones. Yeah. So I'm happy and I acknowledge that people in that circle, in this very small circle, like 
something I'm doing. Yeah. But you, where you keep the modesty in is that you're like, this is a very small circle. Well, well, and, and look at it this way too. Like, so look at like our skill sets. Like, so you're going to be, I'm sure people want to hear about this too, but like, you're going to be the DS of the team next year. Like, yeah. I've been managing the team for the past six years or whatever. Um, the, I went through a period, like even when I started my coaching company and I was, I was like, okay, this is what I'm good at. Like, these are my, this is my skill set. And I'm using this skill set to do what? To help middle class people become better bike racers and to help businesses market their product through publicity generated by my organization of a cycling team, which gives some riders the opportunity to like make a living racing bikes. But the, by the end of the day, it was like, I'm putting all this energy into fuck bike racing? Like, who gives a shit yeah. about bike racing? Like, why is this important? Why didn't I join the Peace Corps? Or why aren't I working to, like, end poverty or violence in yeah. my neighborhood? Like, why aren't I using these same skills for, like, social justice? Yeah. Why do I care about bike racing? And it's probably about the same time that I started to get, um, started to realize that a lot of the solutions that I was coming up with to my problems um, or coping mechanisms that I had were um, unbeknownst to me almost Buddhist in nature or the approach that I was taking with and I had you know I was raised my, my dad is Jewish my mom's Catholic that's the environment that I was raised in I was raised Catholic made all my sacraments whatever have a religious uh, culturally religious background let's say sure. um, not a, necessarily a spiritual one um, but and someone explained to me this this concept back then about like it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It only matters that you are as good as you possibly can be at it. And the, the joy that that can bring into the world, the positive yeah. impact that you make. So, so to some degree, cycling has turned out to be the thing that I know. I didn't, you know, I expected to go to grad school for English at some point. I thought I'd get a master's or a PhD in, in English literature. I always assumed that's what I would do. Mm. And instead, I ended up fully committed to, to bike racing. Um, and so I've often thought that bike racing ended up being the education that I got. It is now the thing that I know. And so all of my skills and communication or mm -hmm. analysis and organization okay. and management, um, I've used those to further uh, my own bike racing career, but also to, to keep a job, to have a job in bike racing because it's the thing that I know. Yeah. So. And that's, and that's okay. That's when you can sort of make some peace. Okay, well, bike, bike racing is the thing that I got stuck with, let's say. Or you yeah. can say it's the gift that I got. I don't know how you want to approach it. but and So then as I go, as my career winds up, instead of maybe running a pro team, so maybe I will go back and start like an inner city cycling league. or some, from, like I, I still know at some point I'm going to have to tie some social justice work into my bike racing sure. work to make some piece of it. Right now, I just want to keep racing my bike. Do you feel like uh, cycling chose you or you chose cycling? Because with me, I, it was no option. Like, yeah. And not that I wanted an option, but it was never like, hey, what am I going to be? It was just like, oh, yeah, I'm a bike racer. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So it's funny. So the year I was 15, I started, like, showing up at the bike shop and the group rides and, like, sneakers and stuff. And guys started taking me on the group rides and, like, Hawaiian shorts. I was wearing like Hawaiian shorts and sure. sneakers. And, um, 
And then uh, the guys at the shop were all 10 years older than me, and they were also kind of getting in. The guys that worked at the shop and hung out at the shop, and they were all getting into racing at the same time. So it was actually really good for me. Like, this group of guys, like, they took me to my first punk shows. Yeah. They drove, and, you know, they knew, like, the, uh, that I was, like, a poor kid, and yeah. they were, like, just they just put me in the car and took me to the races. They really looked after me, and they were, like, definitely big brothers for me. So, but I was also skating a lot then, and... Um, I don't know how cycling, why it appealed to me so much, but it, but it definitely did. And so I got my racing license that next year for my 16th birthday. Um, one of the guys in the group, um, it's like, I made my confirmation, had my 16th birthday. He bought me my first USA cycling license as like my gift. So that was it. I was in, that's when I started, um, for real. But at the end of that season, I quit. Cause I was like, you know, like racing bikes is like, it's like skateboard contests. Like who fucking cares who's faster than, like, how is that? Imp- that wasn't the point. Valueless, absolutely valueless to me. Like I liked, like racing was kind of fun, but I couldn't care, like you, in my mind, like that was not a way to judge people. Right. Who was faster on a bike What was absolutely meaningless to me. The same way like skateboard competitions were so, uh, but but that was like anti-skateboarding. Yeah. For us, skateboarding was like, it was expression. It was it was counterculture. It was not competitive. Competitive skateboarding is like, it was inconceivable. And so like entering con- like, I don't know. It's like how do you judge expression? You know, it's like an art contest. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And so I quit at the end of that year. I was like, this is too expensive and it's like too jockey. It's too competitive. And I just don't want to be a part of this scene. So I didn't ride that whole winter. And then uh, this, this, this kid, Jesse Bushnell, who lives in Rhode Island and also stayed in the sport for a long time, he was just calling me all winter. He's like, come on, dude, we got a race. We had such a good time last year. Like, you got to do it. So like, maybe like sometime in March, I was like, oh, I, you know, winter's kind of ending. I'm getting... I kind of misrided my bike, yeah. so uh, yeah, I got back on my bike and um, and and rode that year and realized like oh, I'm actually I'm I'm good at, I can sprint like I I'm good at this and uh, yeah so by the end of that year I was a cat two and like my last year as a junior I was winning pro one two races in New England and you know I was still a junior and yeah. that's when I was, that year that I my last year as a junior was the year I was like I want to be a pro bike racer. Hmm. And I'm going to dedicate 100%. Because I also had mentors. What changed, like, what changed for you just being successful that you're like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take these guys on with their own game? Or? No, I think I had to accept the fact that I liked the competition. That despite my philosophical uh, distaste for the idea of someone could be better than someone else because they could pedal a bike faster, mm-hmm. um, I think at some point I realized then, like, oh, it's okay. This is just a game. Yeah. There isn't a value in it. This isn't life. You're not better than me if you beat me in a bike race. No, I've... The I've, game is fun, though. Yeah. No, I've brought that up before, too, and uh, how towards the end when my back started getting really bad, how I really resented that whoever won the stage that day or the next... You know, you see them the next day. And they uh, with their chest out, their chest out, and all of a sudden, like any tactics or uh, they dive bomb me inside, or they do any things. That's it's okay. More accepted because they more accepted, and they they feel comfortable telling you off or telling you how you should ride your bike. 
mm-hmm. because they happen to be uh, more fit that day. Mm-hmm. That that was a that's oh, I hate that. I mean, there is a hierarchy out there, right? And uh, totally. But I also think breaking that idea of like, I mean, I work on this with my clients too, and like just trying to manage depression yeah. in 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 athletes, like getting them to understand that. After a while, you have a career, a body of work, your career. Like, I have so much more security, like emotional security at this point in my career than I did when I was in my 20s before I retired the first time when I was trying to make it. Because every race was like, is this where I'm going to break through? Is this where I'm going to have the result that's going to get me the contract I'm looking for? And, you know, in the mid-90s, I'm looking around at all my peers who I had come up with who all of a sudden were making this this. I'm in a podcast making hand gestures. Sure, right sure. <laughs> but they were making this this jump up, this like sudden jump up. I watched so many guys make it, and I was like, when is it? When is going to happen to me? When's my turn? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I didn't understand what was happening. You know, I didn't understand why, where this sudden improvement was coming from. I just thought it was like someone's going to sprinkle fairy dust on me, and um, things would just finally line up for me. And yeah. I didn't even figure it out until after I was done, like what was going on and why those guys were making those those sort of notable improvements, you know? Breakthroughs, yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I didn't let that bother me at the time, and I try not to let it bother me now, but... So, yeah, just... just I think enjoying the game of racing, realizing that it, it didn't have to be a value system, like, and the, I think the thing that was fun for me is knowing that, like, you could win races even if you weren't the strongest guy in the race yeah. by being tactical. And I love the driving and I love the game playing aspect. Yeah. Um, for me, that's what was enjoyable. So I think I had to just accept and be honest with myself that I actually enjoyed the competition. Yeah. And if I could let myself enjoy the competition but keep separate the the value aspect of it, that, that it would be okay. And yeah, I just had to finally fess up. Like, I, I freaking loved bikers. <laughs> and that's been my... If I have a talent... Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes refer to myself as not that talented. If I have a talent, I just care more about bike racing than most people. But, you know, I mean, you call yeah. it a curse, too, but... I just happen to... I haven't found anything else better. It's hard. It's hard to think, uh, you know, if you... I mean, you have such direct feedback. Like, you can work in an office job... And you could show up earlier, and you could fill out your forms quicker, and you can mail them into your boss quicker, and you can, you could, you can constantly improve your workspace. And it might be months, years, if ever, that your boss notices. Yeah. But with cycling, if you if you diet right, if you train right, if you if you pay attention in races. Yeah. Not only your boss, but twelve other bosses. Yeah. see your improvement like like it's more of a meritocracy yeah Al- although sometimes what happens too though is you can do a lot of work for other riders and not get recognized for it I mean that's always the tragedy of cycling sure. is sure. when you become a a lead out guy or uh, a guy who does a lot of work you have to be really good at that to get recognized yeah. and that's what I always tell guys because now I'm in this director spot and I hear a lot of the guys say, like, well, you know, uh, I had to sacrifice myself for this. And, you know, so that's why I haven't been getting results. And it's like, dude, I made a career out of the last four or five years being a teammate. Right. And you know how you do that is you're just, you don't. You're so good at I, it. Like, I, I don't, it's nice that you come back for water bottles. 
and I appreciate that. But I can hire a dozen dudes. Like, I'm going to notice that you don't come back for water bottles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but coming back for water bottles, that's just a check. It's not, right. it's not the thing. Right, right, right. Um, what I need is, so what I tell these guys is like, not only are you on bottle duty, dude, but you're on breakaway duty. You're on lead out duty. You're on crosswind duty. You're on all. You're yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. on a like. You're on a swivel, and like. Yeah. That's what I'm struggling with now as being a director is explaining that to guys, and because what what I would get off on before when I okay I can't win now for myself my back won't allow it but what I can do is is uh, I'll constantly be on Kando's hip. And as soon as there's a slight crosswind, I'll move in front of him. Right. And when we get to a hill, uh, I'll be behind him. I'm not going to get in his way. I'm going right. to be behind him. there if he needs you. And then when he, when I start to see the struggling, like, if the column's not looking, I'm going to give him a little push, and I'll stay right behind him, not get in his way. We get over the top, and I close the gap for him. Right. Like, and then he would say after the race, like, dude, nobody's ever fucking done that. Right. And then he'll tell the team director, nobody's ever done that. Right. And you just, you learn. Someone else ends up going to bat for you. And right. that's the biggest vote of confidence you can get. And, that, and that's what you have to do. Like, to anybody who says they get stuck in the, it's like, okay, dude. But you have to be so good at it. I also think you gotta, when you're on a team that has a sprinter and you ride for the sprinter, like, you know, we ride for Shane most of the time. Yeah. And rightfully so. Shane's so gifted. Yeah. And he's, he's going to be a world-class sprinter. He's so good. Um, part of riding for Shane means putting a guy in every move. Um, it means you got to cover attacks all day. And so even though you're not riding for yourself, you got to still put yourself in moves. Mm. Well, occasionally those moves go to the finish. And so you use your sprinter as your your way to create an opportunity for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not pulling in this move because I got shame back there. Yeah. Or you go through just enough to like... You not... pull through to get it established. Yeah. And then, and then you sit on... And then, and then if, if you ride that way, you get opportunities. And if you can turn those opportunities into wins, you know, like, that's, I think that's how you show, like, yes, I'm capable of getting results when I ride for myself because I turned riding for my teammate. I, riding for them, it means riding for the team. And then riding for the team means, yeah, seizing those opportunities when you get them. Yeah. So. You can't just be like this fragile porcelain mouse. You gotta win the local races too. I always say this, like that's a big thing on our team. Like if you're not, if you're on a team race that weekend and you're home racing a local race by yourself, you gotta bring it, dude. You gotta report back to the team, like yeah, I smashed the local race this weekend. Remind them that you're the best guy, yeah. um, in your area, yeah. and that you deserve to be on a national team going to national level races. Yeah. You know, like because that's. The only races I have an opportunity to win are the ones that I get to do at home without the team. Yeah. I want to win every one of those races. I'm mad when I don't win those races. I knew I was burnt on cycling when I stopped going to local races. Mm -hmm. I was a bad. I think my last three years I never went to one local race. Uh huh. You were rat. You were happier to have the weekend to yourself. That's understandable. I think that's also about getting old too. You know, you just getting older. Dude, I, I had a day where uh, it was really nice, and I was supposed to be training for Tour of California. It was like three or four weeks from California, so you're just supposed to be, you know, constantly hungry and constantly climbing. Yeah. And uh, it was like the first nice day of the year. And I remember looking outside and 
dude, it's too nice to spend my day training. <laughs> like, yeah, whereas, you're done, you know, like, that's it. Where, like, six years before, yeah. you've just been running out the door. Right. You would do an extra hour because it's nice to. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, oh, it's the weekend, fam's around, like, right. I'm not gonna deprive them. Right, right. It's like, No. Sorry. No worries. Because you can edit. We don't know how to record it. I'll do this time. It's a podcast world. Alright. We're going to have to edit That's uh, that's when I knew it was like, oh man, this is bad. So tell me, what am I gonna? Uh, yeah, let's talk about some specific shit, huh? Let's talk about what am, what am I gonna what am I gonna miss or what what do you what challenges do you see for me with this director thing? Generally or with this team? Both. Or generally, let's go generally. Let's not let's not do too inside baseball on this team. Well, so my perspective, remember, is like. I've never been a dedicated DS, right? I've yeah. always been like rider manager or rider captain. So uh, for me, one of the challenges has been getting the guys to know which version of me they're dealing with at any given time. And because you are personable and you're going to be friends with all the riders too, yeah, like it's so it's tricky. I've, I've already found myself not saying that I can't go hang out with the riders. Yeah, I yeah. found. And it's I couldn't do that. Yeah, so I right. So so some days I'm their teammate, and then it was a little easier when I was the fastest guy on the team. But then as the team got better, yeah. I don't feel like I've gotten worse. I think the team got better. As the team got better, how do I get these guys to respect me if they're stronger than me? Because they make the mistake of associating their ability to pedal a bike, the intelligence, or just some sort of authority. Yeah. And so they lose. How do you tell a kid? How do you? I've been racing for 25 years. How do I get a 20-year-old kid to understand all of the experiences I've had racing bikes in 25 years? You simply cannot do that. And they will only judge you based on what they observe, not on your legend, right? Sure. So so as like a captain, rider, manager, captain, I have to be their teammate. I'm also traveling with them. I'm kind of their buddy. But I'm also the logistics manager. So I'm like, you got to be here then. I'm telling them what to do. I'm also, I, for a long time, I did the hiring. I'm their boss. And... That was really tough for the riders, and it was tough for me. And I didn't always do a great job of it because I like to really connect with the guys, and they just—they don't know when they're talking to their boss and when they're talking to their mentor, yeah. maybe, or their teammate. So for you as a dedicated DS, um, you also have to decide like who do you represent, and and it's a mix of both. But like, are you are you whose side are you on? Right. Um, are you the riders are assets. Let's just like sure. make it impersonal. They're they're assets, and your job as DS is to maximize the performance of those assets. And and so that means you gotta if you got a guy who's not performing, you gotta find a way to make him perform. 
Or you can say, fuck you, kid. I got 100 guys who I can put in your spot. And so you can take the approach to performance by of, of like insecurity, injecting insecurity. Um, that's not my style, and I find yeah. that counterproductive. But sometimes you... I would have to say, like, hey, man, the bosses, I reference the bosses. Hey, guys, this is what the bosses are looking for. And so I'm going to help you achieve that. Here's what I see as your challenges, but this is the directive I'm being given. You guys need to, this is the pressure I'm under for you guys to perform. And so I need X, Y, and Z from you to meet the expectations of the, and so that's, so I'm aligning myself with them. It's like you guys can't let me down because the pressure's coming down on me. Sure, sure. So I think you just gotta decide if you want to, if it's like positive or negative motivation. Are you gonna give? Are you gonna be supportive or, or sometimes insecurity is a motivator. It's not my style. It's not mine. Yeah. I think it creates a negative environment. Too. I think for like, guys like us, we would just naturally rebel against it. Or if, sure. if we saw somebody who didn't want to be around us, we would we would take that opportunity to not be around them. You would just have to add a zero to everyone's contracts to be able to treat people like that as well. Yeah. At the end of the day, yes, I realize there are a hundred dudes who do our job for free if they could get the chance, but you gotta wanna be here. Everybody's gotta be intrinsically motivated. You gotta be self-motivated and love racing bikes. So I think with this team, in the past, part of where our success has come with a small budget is we hire hungry guys who love bike racing. And I think part of that success has actually been the fact that I'm in the races. Because if you're in the race with guys, you see little things that happen, and oh, the way a guy moves up, yeah. how he handles his bike, when he attacks and why. And, yeah. and you can see, like, if a guy's not getting results, but he's gifted, if you're in the race with him, you see all the dumb shit that he does, and you also see his talent. Yeah. I think the reason why we've had such a great track record of hiring unknown guys who go on to be good pros you see the intangibles. Uh, yeah, I'm in the race with them. I can look over and see the, their yeah. performance. And yeah. it doesn't pan out every time, but I think we've had a pretty good track record as a result of that. So I'm hoping I can keep doing that for you. Yeah. But I also think you have your finger on the pulse of a bunch of guys that I don't ever even see in bike races. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it's a different schedule. I don't race those guys. And we talked about that already. But... So yeah, I mean, I think managing personalities, communicating effectively, um, you want the guys to like you, but you want them to remember that you are their boss yeah. and, and you're not peers. But here's, so talk about managing communication, communicating. Mm. So there's a day in Alberta, the uh, group of 18 went, we didn't have anybody in it. And, uh, so I'm in the car, you know, and Jamie, for those who don't know, Jamie's team owner, is in the car. And it puts you in a real bind when you have the team owner in the car in that situation. Because I've missed 18 manuals before. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. pretend like I haven't. Yeah. But I, I tried to not make them happen. Yeah. And it's a TV race. It's a TV which race. Is a, which a TV race has a completely different set. Even like live feeds, if we're racing with live feeds, yeah. our tactics change yeah. when we know that we're being observed. Sure. You can race differently if no one sees the tactics. Yeah. Um, if it's on TV, you can't just you can't just hide at the back. No, man. So they missed this move, and I, I said, we'd always do our team meetings in the morning. But I said, after that, I'm like, we're having a meeting after dinner. We have to talk about this. Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't know what to say. I'm a, I was like, really crucial for me because a good portion of those guys are going to come back for the next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I bring him in the room and uh, say, uh, I just want you guys to know that uh, as far as Garmin's expectations, medalist expectations, BMC expectations of you guys, you fulfilled them today. You didn't fulfill my expectations. You didn't, probably didn't fulfill your own. But you fulfilled everybody else's expectations. And, and that was as a result of putting everyone in the front to just chase as because you missed the move. Well... Or, or was it a negative comment? It was a negative comment. No one expected you assholes to make the move, and you proved them all right. Exactly right. Uh-huh. As far as the chasing went, like, I'm not a fan of that move. I think it's pretty stupid. So it was I, punitive, right? So, no, well, no. I told them to just go, like, 42k an hour. Like, I'm not asking you guys to ride 50k an hour. Right. You guys aren't going to catch They them. weren't going to bring the brake back. But you have to have respect for the race. Yeah. And do uh, slightly faster than uh, what's comfortable. Yeah. And and I told them that they could, there's a KOM with 20k, go pull off the top of KOM. Yeah. But you have to have respect for the race. We yeah. came here, we're long shots. You can't just sit yeah. at the back as you lose 10 minutes. And I think you got prop, props for the team that day. I think people appreciated that. Like, I think you got respect for it. Uh, not one rider. One rider came back and started assassinating me a little bit. Why are you guys chasing? No, no, one of our own. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I can guess that. Yeah, you probably were right. Yeah. But um. I, yeah. I, I, I've, I'm worried about... Because I am such a bike racer, I love bike racing, but I know that I can't hang out with the riders anymore. But that, so that kind of behavior pisses me off, though, and I understood it more when it was me. Sure. But, like, I'm so busy, and I'm responsible for so many things, and I'm responsible for those things for a reason. And, and there is there, not a single rider on this team right now who ever really, in my opinion, has the right... Uh, to let's say talk back. Yeah. I I don't have time to explain to the guys on the team sometimes yeah. why things are happening the way they're happening, and I know that's hard for them. Yeah. But, uh, man, sometimes I just need you to do it because I because it's what I said. Because we'll I that. yeah I don't have the 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 infinite myriad of of contributing factors like I just don't have. Now we know that riders perform better if they have. This is in training or in the racing. If they understand why the why, they'll sometimes commit to it more. You want to sell everybody on what you're asking them to do. Um, not during the race, man. Yeah. During the race, I'm telling you to do this, and I'll explain it to you later. And so, man, if I had a dude coming back to the car, questioning my tactics, and I was the DS, I mean... Dude, in front of the team owner. Yeah. Like, guess who doesn't go to bike races anymore? That guy. That guy, that guy gets benched. Because it's not just about how good you are at pedaling a bike. It's also about how good of an employee are you. Yeah. Sometimes I think the best bike racers are guys who had real jobs at some point. I was thinking when I was in the car that day, or just any other day, how it would be pretty beneficial for a lot of riders to uh, be like an assistant DS for a stage race. Yeah. Just to see or like... how about just like an internship at some office? Yeah. Because they, they're... If you've never been yelled at by a boss before, if you haven't worked in the real world at some point, and yeah. you think, and like bike racing is all you've ever known, um, you lose, you lose uh, perspective real quick. Sometimes you want to be like, just shut the fuck up, kid. 
<laughs> like, you don't even understand how lucky you are to be here. Like, why don't you go work in an office for a year yeah. and then come back? And I mean, obviously, it's not realistic to tell the guys that. And I know I'm a bitter old man, but sometimes that's the response I want. How do we, is it just inevitable that we're just going to be bitter old men, you think? Is that just... I mean, I just you just got to pick your battles. So, like, rather than being a bitter old man, I want to be a good coach. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I'm at the point in my life where people want to pay me for my advice. So, I, I want to do the best work I can for those people. And, and those are people... I want receptive riders. So, you know, I'm used to coaching. If I'm coaching someone, they're paying me. They're already receptive. They came to me and they want to pay me to tell them the things that I know. So if you're a teacher, you don't necessarily, I mean, difficult students are sometimes challenging and fulfilling. But as a teacher, it's the same job. You're, you're a teacher. You're the DS. You're also a teacher in a sense. And you need committed, respective, um, respective, respectful, sorry, open-minded students. And that's what you need for routers. You need routers who are going to come and be committed to you. Who may want to have private conversations with you, and you may give them the courtesy of explaining to them what you're doing, only so that they'll commit to it more. Not because you owe them anything. Yeah. You don't owe them anything. Do you have a guy like that come through the system, and then you just like, you just hold on to him? Yeah. Well, so like a good example is Neil Bezdek. Um, Neil's such a bright guy. He was on the team for three years, and he's one of my favorite guys on the team. Because I was able to connect with them in ways that I didn't connect with some of the other guys, and, and vice versa for Neil. Like, you know, we talk about books yeah. and politics, and um, but as a bike racer, he's a very analytical, thoughtful guy. And he also came. He was very new. He hadn't been racing for very long, but he's but as a as a intelligent and gifted guy, he also recognized who had expertise very quickly, and he identified me as someone who had expertise that he could benefit from yeah. and he committed to that he lined up to to learn everything he could from me he recognized me right away as an asset to his career yeah. and soaked up everything that he could and I loved he, he was a great for me he was a good friend he was a great teammate and he was an awesome student and I just loved connecting with him and teaching him how to race bikes and ultimately like his his trajectory in the sport versus his age versus the trajectory of the team meant that after three years there wasn't a spot for him on the team this year and was that hard it wasn't my fortunately it wasn't my decision at that point i was not the one in charge of the hiring anymore yeah but it absolutely broke my heart it it uh i knew it was going to lessen my enjoyment of the team not having him here and uh but i also could see like yeah we needed him to be better at bike racing than he was. Are you worried about him like coming to you and asking him to pull favors? In what way? Like he, he finds out that the team is not going to renew his contract and then he's, maybe he sends you an email or calls you and says, I don't know, man, is there anything you could do? Can you talk to him for me? <clears throat> well, fortunately, like, because I take a pretty honest approach to anything, um, I could handle a call like that yeah. and I would give it an honest answer. like. Hey man, here's here's what I think. Yeah. Here's what I'm advocating for. Here's what you're facing, though. And ultimately, the decision wasn't mine. Um, 
that's the key. The key is just not trying to blow smoke. The key is just... There's no reason not to be honest about yeah. it. It can be ho- I'm not good at saying no, right? Yeah, sometimes I feel like I, I overly try to spare people's feelings to the point of being dishonest. Right. You're not helping them when you do that, yeah. I think. And so the key is just say, hey, here's the situation as it stands. Yeah. And then you can add, like, here's how I feel about it. Yeah. And that's a way that you can soften it. Yeah. Um, but... If someone would like pressure me or put me in a spot like that, a friend wouldn't do that. Yeah. Exactly. That's I would never. Neil would never have done that to me. But you know, Neil was an adult who needed to make a certain minimum amount of money, and and the way the team was progressing and like the way the market was, those things just weren't gonna match up. And his requests weren't unreasonable. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, trajectory of a rider versus trajectory of the team. They don't always match up, and they had matched up for Neil up until that point. So, yeah, like, man, that one hurt. That hurt a lot. Yeah, and now we don't see each other as much because yeah. he's moved on to other things, and we're both so busy. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I miss him a ton. Yeah. yeah. What's your trajectory now? You're slipping out of the manager role a little bit. It's really interesting. Like, so I think as people started to hear about the possibility of us hiring you, I got a lot of calls from people who were worried about my future. Like somehow you were taking my job. No, I got a lot of that, but I don't think people realize you got me the job. <laughs> right, so I mean, you're, you're giving me a little more credit, but yeah, I had to say to people like, no, 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 like Creed came to me, let me know he was looking for a DS position and I passed that right up to the bosses. So this is, this is a job that I turned down. I yeah. could have retired at any time and become the DS of the team. Yeah. It's not a job that I want. Um, I don't want to be on the road if unless I'm racing and you're ready to stop racing mm. more or less let's say yeah. I'm sure it's not easy but um, you seem to be ready for this next challenge of DSing so yeah so for me it's a godsend we have needed a full-time director for years I I am doing three jobs on the team at once and and trying to run my own business on the side and be a bike racer it's not what I'm doing is not sustainable yeah. So you are saving my life by coming on the team. And I'm lucky, you know, I have a contract for next year. I'm still going to be part of the team. So forget about the fact that I'm 42 next year. It's completely irrelevant. Like, my performance is not decreasing. Um, My ability to do my job is not decreasing. My motivation to train and continue to be a full-time bike racer has not gone down. I'm as motivated as ever. The fact that the team's schedule is changing for next year is exciting to me I, I can use a new challenge like I love criteriums I'm gonna be sad if I'm not raising criteriums all the time but I'm motivated for for dieting and for training and for for riding on the front all day and cross-windy races and I'm good at stage races I'm just not good at going over mountains yeah. I get better as a stage race goes on I just don't climb super well yeah. so I'm gonna work on that so so in terms of my trajectory this idea that I won't have any administrative responsibilities next year. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll continue to be a consultant. You know, I'll be yeah. the captain. Yeah. I'll continue to be a consultant because it's, I'm still an asset to the team in that regard. It would be a waste for the team not to continue to utilize my expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, but to not have any responsibilities that revolve around that is huge. And I am super excited to see what I can do in this more challenging schedule that we're going to do without administrative responsibilities. I'm also excited to be, to have a boss, to have a DS, Mm -hmm. to have someone else in charge of all that stuff and not have to be responsible about it and see what it's like to, 
I mean, this is as close to being a full-time bike racer as I've probably ever been. I still have a business to run, so I'm never really going to be a full-time bike racer. I never have been at any point in my career. I won't be next year. I still have to run a business. But I don't have to run the team, and that's a huge weight off. Um, and I also think it's going to be fun. Like, I'm psyched that you're the DS. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think so. It's just, it's, uh, it's a little daunting, but I'm really pumped now. Well, and I just, I think you and I will be good partners in this and you know I still want to be a resource for you and um, yeah like just the simple things it's funny like I, I know bike racing so much but it's been so long since I've done other things like like going to Alberta I like I was on the way to Alberta and I remember thinking like dude I don't even know where to pick up race numbers <laughs> where do you do that how, how do you I remember thinking like I wouldn't even begin to know where to find the information on where to pick up races. Right. You'll learn that stuff fast though. I think having Gus at a couple of the races is probably helpful too, but yeah. this is what this is what happens when you're on good teams. It makes you soft. You forget how to take care of yourself. Completely soft and yeah. in the most ridiculous ways. Right. Well so you got a criterion we get going too. Yeah, that's yeah, I think made it to the end of this, I'm impressed. Uh, good people did. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Keep it on.